Father, uh, we do thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather together. And Lord, I thank you that uh, as a church, we can be here. Lord, we can come together, we can open your word, we can freely worship you. And I do pray, Lord, that as we uh, begin this new study and look at this book, that Lord, you would speak to our hearts. Uh, this letter's uh, just a special letter from Paul to some people that, that he was so close to. And, and I pray that it would impact our lives, that it wouldn't just be another Bible study. It wouldn't be even one of those things where we say, man, that was good and I learned some stuff. But it would be life-changing, life-altering as we draw close to you and learn from you. So I pray, God, that you'd give us those ears to hear, hearts that are pliable and moldable, and that, Lord, ultimately, you would be glorified in this time. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get into Philippians, it's interesting. A lot of people want to talk about joy, that Philippians all about joy. And I know we have our header up there about prison epistles, but... And there is a lot about joy, but the thing is, it's not about the joy that so many, I think, seek in the things of this world. The only way you're gonna find the joy that Paul's talking about is by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I challenge you, count how many times he mentions Jesus or Christ just in the first chapter, much less throughout this book as he's, uh, writing to these people. So a little bit of background before we get into it. The church at Philippi. The church at Philippi was founded, if most of us know, it was on Paul's second missionary trip. If you're not familiar, you can get into Acts chapter 16. Read that for homework, not while I'm talking for homework, and, and kind of look it up. But Acts chapter 16, Paul is on, if you remember, he's on his second missionary trip, and he was gonna go one way, and the door shut. And then he tried to go another way. I love that whole section. Tried to go another way, and the door shut. Tried to, he was trying to go every which way, and the door kept shutting. And you know why that encourages me? It's because sometimes we don't hear as clearly as we think we hear from God, and we, get, we go in wrong directions. And here's what people think. If I mess it up, am I, am I off forever? Am I lost? No. Our God's not the kind of God where he goes, sorry, done. Remember, and then Paul heard, the man from Macedonia calling to him, who later we kind of find out. I, I always like to say, I don't think it was a man, right? Because where does he end up? He ends up in Philippi, and there's Lydia, who's on the banks of the river praying and, and you know, leads her to the Lord. Then he has that encounter. Remember the encounter with a slave girl? And he delivers her, and that caused, that caused some chaos in town. He ends up in jail. Then he leads the Philippian jailer to the Lord and his whole household, kind of a cool thing. I always, I always like that scene where Paul and Silas are in jail and I always picture them, you know, we kind of think in jail you're kind of kicked back and, and stuff. I always picture them kind of chained to a wall like this and they're kind of tired and, and I, always, I always picture Silas leans over to Paul and goes, hey Paul, it just doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> and then they start worshiping. Remember, and everything, you know, opens up. So we have that whole thing. And then he goes away, and now fast forward about 10 years. Now Paul's in prison again. Not in the Philippian jail, but he's in prison. And as Paul's in prison, 
Something moves on his heart and he begins writing these letters. He wrote to Ephesians that we looked at. Then he's, gonna, he's writing this letter. And then he also writes to, to the people of Colossae and then also to Philemon. And so Paul's moved to write this letter. But to me, this letter is, is kind of just tweaked a little bit different than most of Paul's writings. And I kind of like that. This is a very personal letter to people in Philippi, for some reason, it seems like Paul was, and, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it seems like he was, quote, extra bonded to these people. There was something close happened, something really knit their hearts together And as he writes this. But he's going to tell them, ultimately, how to have the joy that a lot of us, we seek after joy and we look at, at it in all the wrong places and we look for that temporary thing that the world may give us as joy. And you can find that in things. You can even read about it in some books. But the joy that Paul's talking about comes from that deep abiding relationship with Jesus. I often tell people, listen, if you're not content in Christ, you're not gonna find contentment anywhere else. You may, you know, I, I counsel with some single people and all they want to do is get married and I tell them, hey, you got to find your contentment in Christ before you try and look for that relationship because if you're not in content in Christ, you're not going to be content in a marriage and you're not going to be content in other things. So that's bottom line what Paul is saying is get this relationship right. So as he writes to him again, listen to the heart if there's any letter that we should stop and say, I want to hear the heart of God through this man, it should be this letter. So Paul begins here in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in uh, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Now, listen, usually we read the first, you know, the first couple verses and, and they're kind of introductory and remember in Greek New Testament times you would start your letter with who's writing it. We always put it at the end, right? But you would start your letter. Now I want us just to imagine for a moment you're hanging out in Philippi in the first century. You had this bond with Paul but he hasn't been, hasn't been around for 10 years. And then all of a sudden this guy has a weird name, right? Epaphroditus shows up, and he's got this scroll, and imagine just sitting there as a church, and I don't know how many people were there, but imagine they unroll this scroll, and the first thing they hear is Paul and Timothy. And they're going, yes, yes, a letter from Paul. And he writes them this letter, and then as he does it to, listen, as he writes to them, here's what he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Do you notice something missing that's usually in Paul's letters? It's in every letter but four. And it's usually Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he may say bondservant, but he always gets that apostleship in there. The only time he doesn't mention it is in Philippians and the two letters to the church at Thessalonica and then that short brief letter to Philemon is the only time... and. I believe it's because he's not having to defend that. 
In the other letters, he's kind of having to defend his apostleship and his authority and his leadership. Here, not so much, man. They knew and he knew and they knew their positions and he was fine with that. But I love the idea. Listen, he says, a bondservant. And, and I know a lot of us have you know, heard it over and over if you've been in Bible studies much. But the bondservant was somebody who chose to be a servant. That word was somebody who said, I don't want my freedom. I'm going to serve you, especially in the Old Testament when you get into that. And, and I always love this because I, I, I kind of tease teenagers. If you want to get your ear pierced, then you're going to be a bondservant because, right, once they would say, I'm going to stay with that master, they would say, take their all and pierce their ear so they would know they're a bondservant. So when, when generally when I see guys, especially with pierced ears, I ask them, whose servant are you? So just curious. But Paul, listen to what Paul's saying. Listen to his heart here. He's saying, this is Paul and Timothy, and he's saying, we or I, I'm a possession of Jesus Christ. Don't you love that idea? I am a possession of Jesus Christ. That's his very first, this is how he's starting this letter. This guy who is a possession, I'm owned by Jesus Christ. Jesus is my everything. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I were in prison, I think I might start with, hey, this is Pat, I'm in prison and I'm not happy. I, maybe I'm not, maybe more of you, you guys are more spiritual than I am, but I think I would be letting people know, I'm not really happy here, I'm in prison, and you should be here visiting me and taking care of me, and etc. But what does Paul, Paul says, listen, man, he doesn't, I don't even know if he knows he's in prison. He's like that guy, right? He's that guy that, listen carefully, he doesn't allow circumstances to dictate how he's feeling inside. He allows his relationship with Jesus Christ to govern his emotions and who he is. So he says, listen, man, I'm in possession of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I love. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, as he says this, listen, usually in certain organized religious systems, we think of the saints as the big guys and the church people, right, as servants, listen how Paul reverses that. He's the servant and they're the saints. Don't you love that, that he kind of reverses that whole thing? Now, Paul wasn't thinking saints like those kind of saints. We're all saints. We're saints in the sense that, again, saint can mean set apart, set apart for something, someone special, holy sometimes we call it. And he's not looking at it in the sense of, sainthood, he's looking at it in a sense, those people were set apart by Jesus Christ for a relationship with him. They're unique, they're different, etc. So as he's saying saint here, he's not thinking of sainthood, but I love the idea that he says saints, and then, and then listen to what he says, to all the saints, not just some of them, right, to all of them in Christ Jesus, how did they become saints? By being in Christ, listen, they're not saints because they're saintly, they're saints because they're in Christ Jesus. If we needed to be saintly to be saints, not many of us would be saints. But because we're in Christ, we're unique. We're set apart. I love that. And then, and then, then he brings up, and listen how he says it, to those in, in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. I want us to pay attention because there is, listen, in the church we do have leadership. And he is talking about leadership. But we don't have hierarchy. And by that, here's what I mean. We, 
Sometimes in, in some systems, and especially some religious systems, they're the hierarchy, the haves, and then the have-nots. And I love what Paul says, listen, to the saints with the deacons and the bishops, the bishops and deacons, not the saints under the bishops and deacons, the saints with, because he does recognize, listen, there's gotta be leadership. You have to have leadership. But leadership, biblically, is servant leadership, not an authoritarian thing. And so he says with, and he uses the term bishops there. Some of your translations might have elders or overseers. It depends on which translation. But listen, elder, overseer, bishop, pastor are all interchangeable in the New Testament. I know by our time we think bishops are, are some kind of hierarchy in some government levels of certain churches and you know I don't, I don't want to get into that whole thing tonight. So when he's talking here, he's just talking about the pastors, the leadership and it's important. Listen, again I think it's important we have leadership. We need leadership. I think it's important we have pastors and elders and, and that we have those who are serving the church in that way. I look at my role in this church as my way of serving the church and serving the Lord. Not I'm higher than, better than, it's I'm doing what God has called me to do. And I believe we all should be doing what God has called us to do with all of our strength. And, and we're gonna have different callings. And, and even in the callings, we're gonna look at those and have different ways of, of exercising those callings. But listen, he's recognizing that. And when he says deacons, I'm of the opinion, deacons were more of the people who served in a, in a real hands-on way, more than in some churches, especially in Baptist churches, right? Deacons are more of the leaders. You have the board of deacons that make decisions and stuff. Our deacons here are guys who just, and, and gals, who just come alongside and help. They deacon. And the word deacon means minister or serve. And you can go to Acts chapter 6 to kind of get all that. So you got a couple homeworks, right? Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 16. Look all of that up. So that's Paul's introduction. And I know I took a little time, but I think it was important to do that. Well, we're not quite done. That's verse 1. But I think it's important to get the heart of what's going on in this message. Then he does something that's pretty customary. He says... In verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I don't think this is just Paul just like etching something out on paper and just writing. This is his heart. This is God's heart that, number one, we would understand the grace that God the Father has given us in this thing we call a relationship, this thing we call Christianity, that it is, it is by his grace. And when we talk about grace, listen, it's easy just to say it's undeserved, uh, undeserved and unmerited. But you know, it's so much greater than that. You've been brought out of the world and placed in Christ. And he's brought that up a couple times that we're already in Christ. Have you ever heard a Buddha, a Buddha say, I'm in Buddha? Or a Muslim say, I'm in Muhammad? No, they follow those teachings, but they're not in them. Listen, we are in Christ. We have been united and joined with him in a very specific, very real way that I think it's important we understand that. And so listen, man, that grace, that's what grace is all about, is bringing us into that relationship, making that relationship possible, and getting us into that place. And once we experience the grace of God in that relationship, then we have 
the peace, right? The peace from God the Father. But oftentimes we say we have the peace with God, but I think we have greater than that. I think we have the peace of God. If there's ever a time where I believe the church in the United States ever needed to understand joy and peace, it's right now. It's in the midst of this, and you're not going to find it. Listen, you're not going to find it on, on uh, uh, Newsmax or Fox News or whatever the latest news thing you're watching, trying to figure out what's going on in our crazy world. And maybe some of you are still CNN people and, and all of those and watching all of that, ABC, NBC, all of those guys. You're not going to find it there. All you're going to find is bad news. And I don't care. I don't even care if you're watching the latest, greatest, whatever conservative one is out there. I just quit them all. You're going to find it in Christ. God the Father is going to bring us that peace, that joy that we're searching for. So Paul lays all that out. Listen, and I love the fact that it's from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, just imagine sitting there, and they're going through a tough time. Not as tough as Paul, but they're going through a hard time. Rome is like, Rome is exploding right now. And they're, in their culture, what's going on for them? Hey, Things are deteriorating heavily with, the, with the, uh, the government of Rome and all that's going on there, and especially morally. And so these guys are trying to deal with that, and they get this letter, and I think they read just these first two verses, and I think it's like this. Oh, that was like a cup of cold water to my soul. It's good to hear from Paul. Hey, they loved Paul, and Paul loved them. And they have that mutual love going on. And I think just this first part would be, oh, that was good, yes. This is from our Paul. Not just any Paul, our Paul, right? Our Timothy. Remember Timothy? Timothy was this squirt when he was with him, right? He's, this, he's, he's like Paul's protege, and he's just hanging out with Paul. And, and now they're realizing Timothy's still with him. Timothy's still there. So they have that now. Now he gets into, and I love the idea, like Paul, usually in his letters, Paul will do the introduction, then he will say, here's where you guys are blowing it, and then most of the letter is trying to fix the blowing it, right? Not this one. Listen how he, listen how he gets into this, and, and I think most of us know Paul's famous for writing run-on sentences. Like, I think English teachers gotta like blow their mind when they try and read the New Testament, and they're going, what did this guy do? So, I'm going, to try and, I'm going to try and break it up. Well, let's read this one long sentence down to verse, at the end of verse 7. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just, it is, just as it is right for me to think, of this, think this of all of you, because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Wow. Wow, I mean, you're reading that and to hear the heart of Paul again, this isn't just some guy just writing a letter to somebody. This guy pouring his heart out. And as I read that, I, I can't imagine being in prison, writing this to people and telling them, you know, hey, I love you and, you know, I'm praying for you. And I would be praying for me. 
And he's just pouring out to them and loving on them. So listen, as he starts this, listen, I, I love this. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Here's some, something to kind of keep in mind as we think about this joy. Sometimes this joy, it's just a mental thing. What is Paul saying? I keep you in my mind. I remember you. I think about you. When you think about saints in the church, are you someone who you're giving thanks to God? for those people? Have you ever just sought, sat and gone through a list of people that you know, believers, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and just thank God for them? Thank God that they're believers. Thank God that they're part of this thing we call the church. I know when we gather like this, we're calling this the church, but this is just part of the church. But just thanking God. Thanking God for those around you. Thanking God that he's redeemed people. Thanking God Again, that we can come together. And so Paul says, man, listen, when I think about you guys, I thank my God. I would, again, I would be saying, when I think about you guys, I was wishing you were here getting me out of jail. But, you know, I thank my God for you guys. And then, listen, verse four is kind of parenthetical, so I want to jump past it and come back. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, verse five, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Do you hear the heart? Here's what Paul's saying. I thank my God because you guys have been involved from the beginning, from the first day. What does he mean? The first day I was there, when I was on the banks of the river with Lydia, that first day from them, then until now, you are involved in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. That's where his, his remembrance, and, and you know, it would be good for us to remember those who are in the fellowship of the gospel. Whenever we hear the word fellowship, what, what immediately comes to your mind? You hear fellowship, what do you think? Food? Some of you are spiritual. But listen, we think fellowship, we think hanging out, we maybe think sharing things. Listen, fellowship, fellowship is so much deeper than that. That word koinonia means coming together, being one, participating together. And again, I think that's why it's important for us to meet physically together. I understand we're blessed in this day and age to be able to have the internet, to be able to broadcast things and do things for those who can't be here and can't get here. And I understand with what we're going through where some people are at, but man, we need to be in that closeness together. And Paul's saying, man, listen, the fellowship, he remembers, he remembers them for their fellowship in the gospel. You and I, our responsibility in 2021 is to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out. That's why we're here. Listen, do you know why Jesus left us here? Jesus didn't leave us here hoping we would get to heaven. He left us here so we could be witnesses for him. If the whole idea was just to get us to heaven, I believe when we would say the prayer, poof, we're out of here and we're in heaven. He left us here so that we could be participants in getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out. I also think that we'll grow and mature and do things and we'll get to that towards the end. But listen what he says, man. These guys are participants. Does that sort of blow your mind? Think about, think about Lydia. I think Lydia, when I read about her in Acts chapter 16, I think, yeah, she would be somebody who would get involved, right? Lydia was an involved lady. She was like, like when you just read about her, you know, she did things. She was a mover and shaker there in Philippi. The jailer, well, you know how jailers are. No offense. 
But when you think about, when you think about him and his family, and especially when I think about that poor slave girl. Now, some people say, how do you know she got saved? I'm pretty sure she got saved. We can get to heaven and ask, but I'm pretty sure she got saved. Hey, he, he delivered her from a demon. I'm pretty sure her life was changed from that moment on. Now, think about those are the people participating in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what I, here's what I hear in his heart. They haven't quit fellowshipping. Paul's gone. Timothy's gone. But they're still there together. They're still there working on this thing. And I love that. So that's what he says. I thank my God about, uh, upon every remembrance of you for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day till, not, till now. Now verse four, let's get that parenthetical part because he says, listen, as I'm remembering you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Listen, as Paul thinks about him, what does he do? He prays. And I don't think it was some formal, like, liturgical prayer that some of us are, are kind of used to. I think Paul would think about, and I think it's good for us, when you think about somebody in the fellowship or somebody you're close to, another believer, do you just shoot up a prayer, God bless them. God, thank you for them. God, take care of them. It's, it's a good thing. Listen, I think, I think we only do that if we have a regular prayer time. But Paul says, man, I, I'm, and then, and then you notice what he says? He says, man, I'm making mention of you in prayer with joy. Dude, you're in jail. You're in prison. How can you have joy? Well, because I'm remembering the church. See, that's the way it should be. We should never have a memory of a church like, uh, that place. It should be, Wow should be something that brings, our, brings comfort to our heart and peace to our heart. And he has that real joy with them. And then as he talks about, listen, as he talks about their participation in the gospel from the first day until now, now here's what I love, verse six. A lot of us know verse six, right? We know we memorize verse six. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. A lot of us have memorized that. We've committed that to memory. The problem is we've kind of taken it out of context and just know, we just know verse six. We don't know three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We just know six. And think about, think about six. Paul is writing to them, telling them he's praying for them, telling them he's remembering them, and then letting them know they're participants in the gospel, but also reminding them not to give up. Don't give up. And I love, Paul says, I'm confident of this one thing, that he who began that work in you from that first day that I just mentioned, from that very first day, he who did that, Hey, Lydia, when we were on the banks of the river and you gave your heart to Jesus, here's what I know. He's not gonna give up on you. I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care how ugly it gets. I don't care how ugly you get. God is not gonna give up on you. I didn't mean ugly in a sense of physical. Some of you are thinking, wow, that was kind of bold. I didn't mean it that way. I meant ugly in a sense of spiritual. Whew, I got some looks. I'm glad you guys are nice. But do you understand what he's saying? As you're reading through the Bible this year, which I know you're faithfully doing, <laughs> some laughed in the back. As you're reading through the Bible this year, or any time, have you ever read any place in Scripture where God started something and didn't finish it? Think about that. Just meditate on that. 
And I've been meditating on that this week. After reading this, I've been meditating. Did God ever start any, is there anything, anything? He ever started and went, uh, mm. I mean, a lot of us are good at that, right? We'll get involved in this, uh, that's no fun anymore. Get involved in this, uh, that's no fun anymore. God doesn't, God doesn't quit. That should warm your heart. I think especially if you're kind of messed up right now. If you're sort of messed up spiritually, this should warm your heart, man. God is not gonna, he's not gonna let go of you. He will complete that work. Woo, yes. He is going to finish it. That's his promise to us. And Paul, again, thinking about them and praying for them and since that first day. And then I love, listen, he's going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, do you know we're all gonna make it to the day of Christ Jesus? Now, for some of us, that comes at different times, right? I get, I think, I think hey, I think if you die, that's your day of Christ Jesus, right? Because he's not, listen, he's not talking about when he comes back to rule and reign. He's talking about the, when the church goes to be with him. And you don't, I think too many people like get freaked out about, am I gonna make it all the way? And man, if you're trying and struggling and striving and it's difficult for you and you're worried about it and you got all of this weight on you, your journey's gotta stink. You're supposed to have joy in the journey and you're supposed to be able to trust him and you have a God, listen, you have a God who can do great things. And if you were saved by grace, Remember what Paul told the Galatians? If you began by grace, why on earth are you trying to finish it with works now? So here's what he's telling these people. He's kind of mixing the idea that, hey, we have a responsibility because he's just told them that they're involved in the fellowship, right? But then he's also telling them, don't worry, God is going to get you there because some of us, we get all freaked out. So he says, listen, he who began that good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse seven, just as it is right for me to think this of all of you. So here's what he's saying. I'm involved in your life. Now I want you involved in my life. I'm, it's right for me to think of you. It's right for me to pray of you. But let's flip it a little bit because I'm Paul, right? And he says, just as it's right for me uh, to think this is all of you because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Just as I think of you, Hey, we're in this together. We are all involved in getting the gospel out. Some of us, listen, I know some of us are not gonna be mouthpieces. Some of us, it's, it always cracks me up when people lay a trip on you. Well, if you don't do this, you're not really a spiritual Christian because you're not doing what I do. <laughs> some of us are mouthpieces. Some of us are not. Some of us are... Our, our workers, some of us, we all have gift, different gifts, but we're all involved in this one big effort to get the gospel out. That doesn't mean every single person is going to be, quote, an evangelist. Most of us, most of us stink at evangelism. Sorry. Just, we're not called to that. And when you do it, you're so hokey. Like someone lays a trip on you. I remember as a young believer, I listened to a certain teacher, and I'm not gonna tell you his name, uh, Keith Green, and he would, <laughs> and he would trip on you, and he would say, if you're not doing this, you're not really spiritual. And I would go out, man, and I'd wanna share the gospel. It was so 
hokey. It was so, because I was doing it in my flesh. I was doing it because somebody guilt tripped me and said things to me. And I thought, if I don't do this, I remember, I remember distinctly being told that if I don't share with certain people and they go to hell, when I go to heaven, I'm going to see their face and that's going to be on me that they're burning in hell. What kind of heaven is that? Like, that is just weird. And number one, if God's dependent on Pat Lazovich, I feel sorry for God. I mean, he can get it done with or without me. I get to participate is a good thing. And that's kind of what Paul says, you're partakers. So some of us are gonna be, listen, some of us are gonna be mouthpieces. I don't think I'm a good evangelist. I can end a message and give an invitation, but I'm not the guy that's out there. There's a guy I know, man, if you go to a salad bar with him, by the time you're paying, he's led three people that are serving him to the Lord. How do you do that? I don't know, I just tell him about Jesus. That's evangelism. That's a gift. That is a good thing. You try it. I try it. I come off cross hokey. The people say, do you want dressing or not? Just move on, boy. Just get out of here. Here he is praying with them, right? So, hey, when we say partakers, it doesn't mean we're all going to be that person. It means we're in this together. Do your part be you, be what God has made you to be part of that. And that's what Paul is telling him. Listen, hey, I'm in my chains. Don't you like it? He says, hey, I'm in my chains. He kind of brings that up. That's a good thing, right? Finally, he brings up, I'm in jail, guys, but I still have joy, but I'm in jail. And he says, hey, we're partakers of this together. We're working in this together. And again, I think he's just got this heart for these guys. And then, listen, now we're gonna kind of, what time is it? Oh, we got plenty of time. So listen, verse eight, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul laid all that out, that long kind of run-on sentence, three through seven, and then he says this, God is my witness. God knows my heart for you. And I kind of love that because here's what I hear him saying. I don't have to tell you over and over. I'll tell you once, but God knows my heart. God knows the heart that I have for you guys there in Philippi, how I love you and long for you. And he says, man, listen, and I do all of that. It's not Paul's affection. Do you get it? It's the affection of Jesus. Now, some of you may have some weird translation issues there. Just go with affection. Because I, you know, I did a lot of studying on this. So some of the translations have with the bowels of Jesus Christ. And, and we don't get that. It doesn't interpret correctly here so just go with affection if you have an older translation say that just put affection but Paul is trying to communicate them with not just listen not just some emotional thing but it's deep within him as a person and it's with that affection that comes from deep within Christ Jesus for all of us so he says, I have that. And then he says in verse nine, and this I pray. Are you ready? He's finally gonna let us know what he's praying, right? Listen, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Now most of us stop reading there. Most of us kind of get that. We think my love needs to abound. I need to have more love. The world tells us, right? You need to be a loving person. You need to be a caring person. You need to be this. We need to walk this way. And especially in our generation right now, it's just like kooky out there. And you need to do that. And they don't, listen, 
Paul's not talking about some emotional move of your heart and even of your bowels, so to speak. He's, listen, he's saying you need to have this love more and more, but listen what he says, more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Oh, oh. It's not blind love. It's not just love for the sake of love. It's love with knowledge and discernment. Where am I gonna get knowledge and discernment? From the Bible. From my relationship with Jesus Christ. As I grow close to him, and as I grow close to him, I am going to mature. And I'm gonna grow in the grace and the knowledge and the understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I do that, my attitude and my actions are going to change. And I'm gonna have this love that he's talking about more and more, why? Because I have knowledge and discernment. I'm not just loving for the sake of loving. I get so tired when people say, well, you know, you Christians, you're supposed to be all about love. We're not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about genuine love that's built on knowledge and discernment. You see, sometimes because you care for somebody, you've got to give them the straight up in their face answer that they don't want to hear. It always bugs me when somebody will ask something and you kind of counsel them and you give it to them and, and I try to be gentle. Gaynell tells me I don't know how. I try to be gentle. I try to be that nice guy. She goes, there's something about the eyes. But she, she does that. And, and listen, I try and, and then... And then People, you kind of hurt them, and I go, I'm not trying to hurt you, I'm trying to be honest. And that's, that's love. I care about people. I had a young guy in my office today, and he says, he says, hey, Pastor Pat, he goes, do you like being a pastor? Well, that's kind of an interesting question, right? Oh, I think he said the big pastor, but do you like being a pastor? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. I said, you know, I said, it's really, really rewarding but it's sometimes it's really, really discouraging. And he says, well, what do you mean by that? And I go, well, it's rewarding because you see lives changed and you're able to be used in people's lives and you see things. But it's discouraging when you see people make the wrong choices even after you've told them upfront, blatantly, this is a bad choice, don't do this. And he goes, do people do that? I go, all the time. And we need to understand when you tell somebody they're making a bad choice, it's not because you're mean. It's not because you don't care. As a matter of fact, it's because you really do care and you really do love them. And that's the kind of love that Paul is talking about, that it comes with, with knowledge and discernment. And then he says this, listen, verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent. That word approve, we may even call, say that you may prove them. You know how you test some things in a, in a good way where you test some things with fire to prove that they're good? That's what he's talking about. Listen, that your love may grow more and more with knowledge and discernment that you can prove what is excellent. I think it's important for you and I to understand what is excellent and what is just okay. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, there's good and then there's gooder, I like to say, right? There's this and then there's the best. What are you gonna choose? The only way you're gonna choose the best is by growing in the love 
that he's talking about with knowledge and discernment, then you can prove, you can test out, you can prove or approve the things that are excellent. Listen, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. I want to be sincere. I want to be somebody that is, is you know, somewhat transparent. I'm, you know, I try to be transparent, but I'm not going to be completely transparent because, frankly, I don't trust some of you. And you don't trust me enough. Listen, we, we're all, we all have some stuff we kind of keep, right? I'm transparent with my wife. Why? Because I trust her. I've been with her for 50 years. I'm, I'm kind of trusting her, mostly. <laughs> but do you hear what he's saying? Listen, I believe, you guys are here on a Thursday night. I believe you want to be sincere. When he's saying sincere, he's saying genuine. If you've done, if you've done studies again in, in, in the Bible, the Greek word for this means, you know, sun approved or sun tested. The Latin word means without wax. And both of them kind of mean the same thing. In the day, people don't do it so much today, but in that day, a potter, because I'm a potter, if somebody came and like kicked one of their pots and broke it, they would just take wax and it would stick some of the, the dust from the pot in the wax and then kind of stick it back together. So it looked fine. You kind of clean up the wax. It still got the color of the, of the clay and stuff. And you would get it. And then, and then when you tested it in the sun, sun tested, you put it out in the sun, the wax would melt. Oh, that guy ripped me off. Or the other thing is, again, without wax and, and kind of the same thing. They would hold it up and, and you could see it in the sunlight. But do you hear, I don't want to be... I don't want to be somebody that's held together with some funky wax. Right? You want to be real. You want to be sincere. And I listen, I believe we need this in the church of Jesus Christ more now than ever. And I don't think we need to follow the latest fads and the latest things and the, and the lady, latest craziness that's going on in people's heads. We don't need to get involved in that. We need to get involved with Jesus Christ. And we need to allow him to purify us and make us those people who were sincere and real. And I believe, I believe if we do that, we can change our world. And that's what he's saying, man. Let's be real people. Let's be sincere people growing in love, being sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now listen, I think what he's saying without offense is without being the jerk for Jesus. You know, there's one thing if the gospel offends. That's on them. But there's another thing, and I hear some Christian talk that it bothers me. I hear some YouTube stuff, and I'm just thinking, really? That's, that's what you want people to think of Christianity? And when he's saying this, listen, he's saying, he's saying you and I, we should not give the offense. We should work overtime at not giving the offense. I am so tired of people who have different views and other people villainizing anybody that doesn't have their view. And you just hear this babble going on and they're just, they're villainizing hunting and they just have a different view than you. It's okay. It's okay to have different views. You can tell someone if they're wrong, but you don't have to be a jerk. Don't be offensive. And then, also, with our conduct, we should not offend people. We should draw people. Do you hear without offense till the day of Christ? He keeps bringing up that day of Christ. you think Paul thought Jesus was coming back? It always cracks me up when people go, well, you know, that whole idea of Jesus coming back for the church is like what came around the early 1900s. 
I'm going, no, I think Paul was pretty intense on that and thought he was coming back. So listen, you and I need to do that. Being filled, here we go, we'll, get, we'll wrap it up here. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here, here's what he's saying, man. We need to grow and change, and we need to be people who are filled with the fruits of righteousness. I don't think he's just talking about, quote, righteousness here. What is it? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that describe your life? <laughs> yeah, about one of those words. But do you hear, man, he's saying... If we are people and we're growing in the love and the knowledge and discernment and we're being those people that we uh, approve the things that are excellent and we get to that place, we're gonna be overflowing with the fruits of righteousness that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we're walking with Jesus. I wanna walk close to Jesus. I wanna know his heart. I wanna every day get up Jesus, what is your heart today? What is your heart in my life today? How can I best express you to other people today? And it may not be verbally. It may be just, hey, how's your driving? That's always a fun one to think about, isn't it? You know, some of you won't put Calvary stickers on your car. Because here's what you say, well, I don't want people to, you know, don't, have you ever seen me drive? Well, change your driving. Get, if you have to, get cars at control. <laughs> Bring you under control. Find a way to get so you're not being that person. I have, for years, I set my cruise control all the time. Because I don't want to be that person. I'm gonna be that guy that, you know, and it's crazy, man. It's funny, especially going down 7th Street or Coronado. Man, people like, whew, they go by, and I'm thinking, it's, it's like 35, 40 miles an hour, you're going 60. And then I see a Calvary sticker. No, not really. <laughs> so saints, do we want to further the gospel or do we want to hinder the gospel? And hear the heart, man. This is a guy who's in jail. He's in prison. And he's saying, here's how I feel about you guys. And you know what I believe? I believe that's how Jesus Christ feels about every one of us here tonight. His heart, listen carefully, God's heart is for us to be the best us we can be in the face of the things we're facing, in the face of a pandemic, in the face of the craziness of our world, in the face of all of the, in my mind, political upheaval and the hatred and the, the verbal abuse that goes on, we need to change that. We need to be change agents and be used by God to bring the joy into the world that the world deserves. But that's only gonna come from a fruitful relationship. Are you bearing any fruit? And listen carefully, fruit, things that bear fruit trees, they don't strive. Have you ever seen a fruit tree go? How do they bear fruit? By being firmly planted, and by taking nourishment in their roots. How are we gonna bear fruit? By being firmly planted in Jesus Christ. 
And that's Paul's heart. Again, I challenge you, go through here and see how many times he brings up Jesus. Yeah, he talks about joy a whole lot, but the joy is always tied to Jesus Christ. So we might say Philippians is about life in Christ. And that's what we want to learn. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, for the challenge that we have here uh, with Paul and, and, Lord, just the heart that he has for the people in Philippi. And, God, I pray that we can translate that and, and take that and, and understand that's the heart that you have for us here. You so desire for us to be those people who we grow in love more and more in the knowledge and discernment so that we can prove that which is excellent. So we can be people who we live a life that doesn't give offense but shines brightly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray that as we think about what we've read tonight, we meditate on it and chew on it a bit and allow it to go deep in our hearts. I pray that we could be men and women who bring glory and honor to you as we live our lives, that we could shine for you. And God, that we could be those change agents in this world. Thank you, God, for loving us. And thank you that, God, you do not give up on us no matter what. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here tonight and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never asked him to forgive your sins and to come into your life and, and guide and direct you, then you know what? Tonight is a night of salvation. Right now is the time to take that step. So if you wanna take that step, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna challenge you with a prayer and, 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 and have you say this prayer after me. And it's a simple prayer. You're gonna admit to God that you know you're a sinner. And that's not so that God knows, that's so that you know you come to the place where you're recognizing, yes, I am a sinner. And then the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, separation from God. So you have to come to the place where you understand, as a sinner, I'm separated from God. And tonight you're in that place where you're saying, but I want that relationship. I want to know God. I want to have that, have him guide my life. So if you want to do that, admit you're a sinner, ask him to forgive your sins, and then ask him to come into your life, and you will be what the Bible declares, you'll be born again, you will be changed, you will come into that grace that we talked about. So if you want to do that, say this prayer with me out loud. You can say it silently, but it's got to be sincere. It's got to come from your heart. Jesus, tonight, I confess you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.